Welcome to Industrial Theory with Carrie Siggins. In this podcast, we talk with leaders and doers throughout the industrial cleaning industry who are changing the way we think about cleaning the world. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins. Welcome to episode four of Industrial Theory with Carrie Siggins. Today, I will be interviewing David Beckham, CEO of Augusta Industrial Services, based out of Augusta, Georgia, United States. Augusta Industrial Services opened its stores in 1977 as a startup sewer and drain cleaning services company called Budget Sewer Services. After recognizing a need for reliable and safe work in the nuclear and industrial markets, they expanded to include nuclear and industrial services and renamed themselves Augusta. David has been with the company for over 20 years, starting as a hydroblasting technician and working his way up through the company where he is now the CEO. Augusta, like Stone Age, is an employee-owned company. Thanks for being on Industrial Theory, David. Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this interview. So let's jump right into it. You've had quite the 20-year journey going from a guy working on pumps to a guy running a company. That's extremely inspiring. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? Okay. Well, um, this is not what I planned to do, but when when I graduated from college, um, the job market was kind of tough. And I was uh, couldn't find uh, really what I was looking for, but I spoke to the owners of Budget Sewer and Augusta Industrial at the time, and they said I could come in and try, you know, try it out until I found something else. So I did it, not really knowing what I was getting into. And in our company, a lot of people start at the very bottom. We call it on the end of the hose. But I started with Budget Sewer Service, and I was the helper on the septic tank truck, and the helper really translates into digger. So I was I was the digger on the septic tank truck. I didn't last too long as the helper because it took me about two days to realize that if I put two shovels on the truck, I wouldn't be the only one digging. But the, uh, the truck driver didn't like that, so he asked for another helper. <laughs> Good idea. Yeah. So I, I kind of got pushed around, and I moved over to the industrial cleaning side. I did some vacuuming, and then I got into to water blasting. We had a lot of work going on in a nuclear outage, and I was able to pass the uh, the testing to uh, to get a badge in, in in the nuclear world. So I did that and got got the call up one one Friday to. Uh, go down for the weekend to clean some tubes and a heat exchanger. And so I jumped at that chance and went down there. And it was just supposed to be the weekend, but like a lot of things in this industry, it turned into more. And about nine months later, I came home and realized that, um, you know, I'd, I'd learned a lot there. I was interested in the safety side of it. I really liked how safe the nuclear side was did a lot of training there, and I knew that I could. some of that would translate into uh, a safety position. So we, we had an opening. I moved into the, the safety position, took every bit of training I could, worked my way through, through Georgia Tech, through their industrial health and safety program, did that, became an authorized OSHA trainer. And so I took over the safety department at Augusta Industrial. I was out doing a lot of job audits, learning about equipment, talking to manufacturers, learning the safety side of the equipment, and realized that while I was on these jobs, that a lot of the customers were coming to me, hey, while you're here, could you do this? Could we do that? And so it started turning into a sales position as well. 
So I took over some sales and project management and did that for a couple years. Our company was growing and we had to split the two companies, the uh, Budget Sewer Service and Augusta Industrial. It was it's too hard to run a residential business and an industrial cleaning business, so we sold budget sewer service. We moved our operation down to our current location, and when we got here, we realized that the size we were, it would, we needed to have an operations manager, so I was able to take that role on. And around 2012, we finally settled on an ESOP, the, the Employee Stock Ownership Plan. Mm-hmm. It was a way... For, for the uh, original owners to, to back away, get some money out of it, you know, but keep the legacy of the company. Uh, that was very, very important is maintaining the company as it, as it stood. Uh, when, we, when we formed the ESOP, I became a vice president and I was um, appointed on the board of directors. And since then, I've become the CEO of the company. Wow, that's quite a journey. Pretty impressive. Yeah, you should have been here. <laughs> I can imagine it was quite the ride. <laughs> so what's the hardest thing about running an industrial services company and what do you love most about it? I think the the uh, hardest thing, and it's I don't think it's just industrial cleaning, it's, it's everywhere. I think it's employees, finding qualified employees, employees who want to do this work that can work with a flexible schedule. You know, when th- when this business started, you know, a lot of people put a lot of hours in, around the clock, working. And over the years, that's that's kind of changed. You know, we, we now regulate, you know, how many hours a guy can work. We now have a lot of families that have two, two working parents. So you have to consider other, you know, the spouse's job. You have to work around that. Children, you know, everybody, everybody's got a life. And so this business, it can be a 24-hour business and it's not always scheduled. Yep. So when you find a guy that's qualified, can pass all the backgrounds, then you bring him into it and you, and you start working and you get the two o'clock in the morning call and you have to call the guy at home. It's 15 degrees outside. He's at home in his warm bed and you have to tell him he's got to go spray water outside. That, um, that's a challenge. Absolutely. Um, it, it, it turns some people off. Yeah. So that, that, we manage that and we're able to do it, but that I would believe that would be the hardest part is just managing all the employees it takes to do this. And then what, but, on the, what about the other side? What do you love about it? What I love most about it is being a solution provider, a problem solver. You know, plant, we've sold ourselves to these plants as, as their lifeline, that we're going to get them up back in business. We're going to keep their business running smoothly. And when they call you a lot of times, if it's not planned work, they're in, they're in dire straits. Yeah. But you can always, we, we always seem to be able to pull it together and make it happen, get them back up and running, almost like it never happened. Oh, it's so rewarding. That's that's one of the things that I love most about being in this business too, is is you've got a tough challenge and and it takes all of us to really uh, come together and find that solution. And and when you have a, 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 a customer like you who says, hey, thanks so much for helping us pull this off. You know, we we solve this customer problem. We want another contract. It's so, it's so rewarding. It makes all of it worthwhile. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I totally understand. I can imagine that you've seen quite a bit of change over your two plus decades in the industry. In your opinion, what's what have been the pivot points in the industry? What's caused the biggest change? I think the biggest change that I've seen in the industry, especially on the water blasting side, is is the automated equipment. For us, that's been huge. 
Yeah, how has it changed your business? What, what it's done for, we've had to re- rethink how we're doing jobs. Um, so, so it has created some challenges in order to sell it to the customer because they're for the past 30 years, we've been coming in doing the same job by hand. Right. Now, now we come in with extra equipment. It might take a little more room to set up. or So you, you really have to sell them on that. That's been kind of the challenge of the automation. But what it's done for us is your business now appeals to a whole new level of employee. Right. And just taking the, the hazard out of the guy's hand um, makes you sleep better at night. The move to automation has dramatically changed uh, Stone Age's business too. In hindsight, it's always nice to be able to look back and say, oh, wow, if I would have known what, what developing this type of equipment would have done to the business, would I have done some things differently? And when we started down this path, it was about product development and we can create these products. We've been doing this for 35 plus years. And then once we got into it and we saw how much it was changing contractors, businesses, and and the conversations they were having to have with their customers and how we needed to really partner with both contractors and the facility owners to develop the right kind of equipment for the future, it dramatically changed our whole business model. And we had to evaluate, you know, how do we work with our customers and, and cause us to go direct and uh, at least in our, in our key mo- uh, markets. And so it's completely turned, I think, many businesses upside down as we figured out, you know, what does this new world look like and how do we structure ourselves to serve our customers better? It's, uh, I think it's been, it's been disruptive uh, for, for all of us. And I think it will continue to be disruptive. And so I know you have a crystal ball and a, a very clear crystal ball. So looking yes. at <laughs> good. Can I borrow it? <laughs> looking I'll rent it. Oh, perfect. Of course, always looking to make money, aren't you? <laughs> yep. Looking ahead in five years, what do you think will continue to be the biggest disruptor in the industrial cleaning industry? Well, what I'm hoping it is, and I think we're on the way there, is recognizing this industry as a skilled craft. Yes. Um, I think that's going to change a lot of things. It's going to, you know, change the way we do business, what we're able to charge to do business, the kind of uh, employees we can attract because we can pay better wages. And, and, you know, when you're doing something that's recognized as a skilled craft, you have pride in that. I think that a lot of people view what we do um, it's changing slowly, but a lot of people still just look at us as the cleanup guys, right? The janitors, and they don't realize what it what it takes to um, to do this type of work and the amount of training that goes involved that's involved with it. When I am out talking to facility owners, asset owners about the Global Industrial Cleaning Coalition and and the WJTA and what we're trying to do to drive the professionalism and safety and, and create craft in, in the water blasting industry. I, I talk to them a lot about the fact that when the, your equipment, the, the people who are coming in to clean your equipment, they're cleaning the equipment that you make money on. And you care about asset utilization and how you're going to use this equipment to make money and to make product and to serve your customers. And you can't just look at the cleaning operation as a, a maintenance activity that's not tied to the uh, the actual production within the plant. And sometimes you see the little light bulb come on like, oh, I've never thought of it like that. 
And so that's really part of the conversation that we're trying to drive forward with this, this effort with the WJTA and the other global safety associations and the GICC to, to really help uh, asset owners and facility owners, plants understand how important it is that this is a skilled trade. Yeah, I believe it, it's just as important as installation of the equipment and the repair of the equipment and the development of the equipment, yep. you know. You have to clean it, and it, it takes technique. Okay. It takes skill. I completely agree with you. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's talk uh, safety and training. I know you're a big proponent of it and that you've invested heavily in a training facility. Tell us your philosophy on training and the why behind your specialized training facility. Okay. Well, when I first got into the business, like I said, there was – a lot of the training was just strictly OJT, on the job. As I progressed in the business, I just thought that, that that's not right. We need to have these guys, you know, with some experience before they show up on a customer site. We've got to bring this in-house in a controlled environment. We've got to make the environment very similar to what they're going into. Um, and we've got to put some hours on them. You know, these guys have to have to get the time under, you know, under their belt. So we were finally able to pull it all together. I... Uh, I acquired a, a tank from a from a plant that shut down. It was it was a NutraSweet plant, and they they shut down. And I acquired their old confined space training tank, and I took the tank and I, I mounted it at our facility and built piping systems around it, heat exchangers, and made it look like a little a little plant. Mm-hmm. So now when we go out for training, we do you know our water blast training in house, and we we go through the you know, all the safety, and then we get into the operations, and we go out and we hands-on, and we practice cleaning lines, you know, either we still do some water blasting by hand, so we, we have to train on that, and then we can use the same setup, and we can set up our automated equipment. So we get these guys out there working on it, especially with the automated equipment, you know, setting it up in different configurations, so sure. that when they show up to the site, they're a professional. You know, we, we believe that we're hired as professionals and that's who we should send out on jobs. It's a great philosophy. And how's that helped you with retention and, and, and maybe created a little bit more pride of, of, of ownership and in, in the doing a, a good job uh, in your team? Yes, it does. Because people, you know, once they get into it and they start doing this, they want to become the guy, you know, the go-to guy for that piece of equipment or, or this type of work. And so they kind of, you know, get a little competitive about it and like to one up each other. And I, I, you know, we like that kind of competition. Anything that raises the raises the bar. So I'm sure that uh, that you've had a safety incident that has had a significant impact on you. Uh, can you maybe tell us a little bit about it and how it changed your thinking or the way you work? Yeah, and, and this kind of goes back to some of what we do in training. But we we had a an incident that years back where we actually had had a guy get cut with. Um, 20,000 PSI water. He was actually cut by another guy. The guy was pointing the gun in his direction and shot him in the arm. And, you know, that was, it was hard to figure out why, why that would happen. They, without going too deep into specifics, they were trying to clean out a, a pipe with, with the water blast gun and the reaction force of the gun inside the pipe pushed it. The nozzle came out of the pipe. The guy was standing too close and it, it cut it, cut his arm. Oh. And, you sit back and you look at that, you're like, why would you do that? What, you know, that doesn't make sense. So what I really started looking at is, you know, in training, you know, you've got to have all these documented processes. When I started with the company, you know, a lot of this was tribal knowledge on how to do stuff. 
Well, with tribal knowledge, you know, you're relying on the next guy to tell it and the next guy to tell it. And so people start leaving important things out or they'll leave, they'll admit something because they say, well, certainly nobody would do that. So why talk about it? Yep. You know, so that you know, we really had to start looking at, okay, well, maybe that does sound stupid to say in training, but let's cover all those bases because, well, there, there's one line that um, a friend of mine in the business is, uses, um, Gary Tooth, and uh, he has this line, and it's it's funny to me, it, nothing is foolproof to a sufficiently talented fool. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> I've heard him say it. You just got to cover all your bases and don't assume that that what seems like is common sense to you is common sense to another person and, and ensure that that, that that education really happens. I think that's right. a great way to handle it. So what changes do you think that we need to make as an industry so that these types of incidences don't happen? Well, I, I think we're, I think we're on the way to doing that. I think, you know, with the, with the WJTA and the opportunity for people to serve on safety committees, training committees, and um, help write the rule books, and get together and share information as an industry, to me that, you know, that just, it gives everybody, you don't have to experience every injury. You take somebody else's and you share it. And I think we've really got to open ourselves up as contractors to to talking to other contractors. I think there's been a fear of that in our industry because you're so scared of somebody, you know, getting your trade secrets or coming in your area or hearing your weaknesses but I feel like we're on uh, kind of on a turning point right now where people are starting to get involved and really share that type of information. I think it's critical. Uh, and it's a big part of what the GICC is about as well. And, and one of our top long-term goals is to create a database of safety incidences and a, uh, a broad way to communicate what happens so that we can learn from each other. And, you know, I think some markets do it better than others, but um, certainly here in the United States, it's, it's a, a lot of fear of, of not just competition having information or, or something like that, but, you know, what, what happens with the lawsuit? And so we get into such protectionism mode that we forget that this is how we actually learn from each other and get better is by experience sharing and not being ashamed of what happened, uh, but putting it out there so that we can learn and others can learn from us. So right. you're spot on. I think it's critical that smaller companies get involved in these organizations. Yeah. It can be intimidating when you look at some of the committee members, and they're all national or international companies that have 5,000 employees or whatnot. But my philosophy is you got to have a seat at the table. Yep. You have to get there and represent your business. And I, I don't think we have enough of the smaller, the smaller companies doing that. Yep, I completely agree with you. All right, well, let's pivot a little bit and talk about employee ownership, something that we're both deeply passionate about. In fact, the yes. first time I met you at the Pumper Cleaner Show in Indianapolis, it was the, the topic of our conversation. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Augusta's employee uh, ownership plan and what helped you decide to become an ESOP? Like I said, it started out as the succession planning in about 2012. And we looked at many different options on what to do. We were being approached every time we turned around by private equity um, or, you know, some type of merger or acquisition. It didn't feel right for us. We believed in this company. We believed in the people here. 
and we believed that we could continue. And so what made sense to, to preserve the legacy and keep moving forward was the ESOP. You know, and it really, we, we have a lot of employees. We have several that have been here 35 years, you know, a bunch that have been here 20, 25 years, 10 years, all the way down. Um, so we really, you know, nobody gets here on their own. And we really wanted everybody to be a part of it. And we, we felt like that to continue growing, if we had everybody involved, we could, you know, we would have the ability to, to keep moving forward. And so have you felt that you've had that kind of buy-in, that, that, that people see that vision and, and, uh, and, and know that they are imperative to the success of the company? I don't, I don't think we have 100% uh, buy-in. I think we're getting there. Part of that could be that we should have started out with a better education uh, process on, on the ESOP to the employees. But we're starting to get that buy-in and people people realize, you know, the importance and, um, you know, what, what making money does for them and, and what being inefficient does for them. Absolutely. I think we're going through the same journey. We've been employee-owned for a lot longer than Augusta. We had a, a different kind of stock ownership plan where the employees could invest their own money and buy shares of the company. And we needed to change our model for succession planning reasons as well and went with an ESOP. And uh, and while people understood the value of being an employee owner, it was different because instead of skin in the game, it's now a, a retirement benefit that they receive after uh, you know, they leave the company and eventually uh, and eventually retire. Whereas the previous model, you could could see the benefit right there. I have these shares and I'm getting paid distributions. And so we had to do a lot of education around what the difference was and 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 think about, well, if it's not skin in the game, how do we engage employees differently in the ownership mentality? and and people ask me what I would do differently, and I say the same thing. I think I would have educated more on, and had more conversations up front about what the difference really means and, and how to still keep people engaged in it, even though they don't get to really see it and feel it uh, in the moment. Right. So, when we, you know, it was about a two-year process for us. And so I learned a lot about it going through it. Yeah. And it was another one of those things that I just thought people would get it, you know, and I should have spent more time and come right out with a with a lot more education, uh, but we're working on that now. And I, I think it's, um, I think it's making a difference. Yep, absolutely. Same here. So do you feel that being employee owned has given you a competitive advantage? I, I do. I believe we're, we're more competitive because of our retention. You know, it's some, some customers are, are in tune with the employee ownership part of it and, and really get it, you know, that, and they can see the difference in our guys. Hey, these guys really care. They're they're going to do whatever it takes to make this happen. Um, but then some of them don't. But what they do see is that hey, we're getting the same guys over and over again, and that means a lot to them. And and how do you tie the experience your employees have working for Augusta to the customer experience that they create each each day? Well, uh, you know, I I think that everybody here now is realizing that each customer affects affects their um, valuation and their stock price, you know, so it's definitely tied to revenue. So we're now doing, we're working together a lot better as far as making sure that each customer is taken care of equally as well. Um, Prior to the ESOP, you know, we all kind of had our silos. This is my customer. I got to take care of him. 
but now we we have uh, you know much more understanding of let's work as a team to make sure all of these customers are taken care of. Yeah, absolutely. How we do ours is we really believe that that our culture is our brand. When people come here to visit us uh, in Durango, they leave saying, I'd love to work here. And that's what we want our customers and our partners to say, because it is inspiring them to, you know, to understand what we're here really about, what we're really doing, trying to create value for our community, value for our customers, value for each other. And so, you know, when we say our culture is our brand, we want people to experience us as employee owners caring about something that is bigger than just a paycheck, a, a job to do each day, that, that we're a part of something that's bigger and it's all tied together. Right. So I get asked this question all the time. So now it's my turn. Is it hard to run a company where all your employees are owners? And what are the benefits and what are the challenges in your opinion? It can be hard. Um, you know, at first, the hardest part was we had to transition from a family-owned mentality. Right. And so to, to do that, we had to let others within the organization take on roles and be involved in decision-making. You know, employee owners want to grow not only in their roles, but they want to grow the business also. And what we've learned is in order to grow, you have to you have to let go. You have to let other people do things. And you'd really be surprised how much they'll do if you get out of their way. So that, you know, sometimes I may be the challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I understand. I feel that way sometimes too. (laughs) What we've done over a period of time here is we got a hold of a book called Traction by Gina Wickman. I don't know if you've heard of it. I haven't. No, I have to write that down. Well, it's it's a book and it's, it's, um, it really outlines a process called EOS, which is Entrepreneurial Operating System. And what it, it it's nothing earth-shattering or, or groundbreaking. It just ha- it gets everybody on the same page. You uh, develop an, a system of accountability, core values, short-term goals, long-term goals, scorecards, weekly meetings where where you're looking at your scorecards, you're asking who, who got their goals, who didn't, why didn't you? So everybody gets on the same page and they're working in the same direction. So it's nice to be in a company where people know where we're going and how we're going to get there. Yeah, uh, it's incredibly important. So uh, so it has, did this book change the way that you view leadership or being an employee-owned company changed your view on leadership? Yes. How so? Well, well, this system has because it really um, kind of outlined my role right. <laughs> and kept me under control, you know, and made me feel more confident that when we assign these roles and we can use scorecards to kind of grade them or see where, where we're coming in, that I don't have to be involved in everything all the time, right. that I can focus on what I need to focus on. And that, that's running the business as a whole. And I know that that's difficult because I, I feel like I grew up a little bit in, in running the Stone Age business as well. And every single department had reported directly to me. In fact, many direct employees reported to me. And that's been part of my development as a CEO has been really understanding that, uh, that the company is going to be way more successful if I'm not involved in everything. But it's hard to see that when... That's how you you grew up through the organization was doing some of those jobs and managing. Yes, so I think we both came up, you know, really hands on 
Exactly. Especially in this this business, you know, the, the cleaning business. You know, as, as I got into leadership prior to the ESOP, you know, I felt like I was doing so much. And when people would ask me, well, what do you do there? Kind of my stock response was, well, some days I'm expected to shovel shit, and other days I'm expected to shit a shovel. <laughs> oh, Davidism. I'm so happy to have one of those. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, so now I've really changed the way I, I think of that. And so now really what I see my job is, is every day I've got to make sure that each one of these employees has a job in five years. Yeah, completely agree with you. So what is the one thing that you think it takes to be a great leader of an employee-owned company? I think you have to kind of get out of the business that you're in and you, you really move into the people business. You've really got to learn how to, to manage people and work with people and make all those relationships work and the different personalities and get people in the right spots. And then all those issues kind of take care of themselves. Yeah, I agree. Transparency is so critical when you expect people to think like owners and act like owners and, and, you know, have what we call the own it mindset, you have to, to be extremely transparent and help them understand and help them see that vision and, and develop them. And I think that because of the, the combination of that sort of focus on people development and the fact that the, your employees get to share in the success of the company, it can create something that's really quite unique. Right. So do you think that employee ownership is a model that others in our industry should consider? I do. I think that there's a lot of companies out there like Augusta Industrial that were first generation or even second generation that need a plan to to continue. Um, and if, if, if you've put your, your life into this business and you want to preserve the legacy of your company, this is an excellent option. You, you know, sell, selling out or merging is not always is not always the answer. So I, I think that, you know, a lot of us have put so much into the business and so, are so tied to our specific business and our people that one way to take care of them is through doing an employee-owned option. Yep, I agree. So, uh, and, and not only is it not uh, the answer, sometimes it not, might not even be an option. The, recently, right. our governor here in Colorado created an employee ownership uh, commission, which I was appointed to. And the big goal is helping some of these smaller, what you might call mom and top, pop type businesses, have an exit strategy. So we have over, just as an example, in Colorado, 6,000 manufacturing companies with 20 employees or fewer. And a lot of those owners of the companies are baby boomers, right, of retirement age. And they don't necessarily have the option to sell to somebody else or consider private equity to grow. And they don't necessarily have, have children who want to take over the business. And so imagine if those 6,000 manufacturing companies went away because there's no succession plan. There's no option. And so what we're trying to do is create awareness around employee ownership that um, help people understand that's a very viable model that not only helps transition the business and 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 create wealth for uh, the founder or the owner of the company, but also then create an opportunity for uh, the next generation uh, with this, what they're calling the silver tsunami, right? As these baby boomers exit and the largest wealth transfer in the history of the United States happens, that there's actually capital and a way to transfer that uh, to other people. So yep. I'm right there with you. 
And looking back over your journey to becoming an employee-owned company, would you do anything differently? Uh, like we touched on a couple times, I would have had a a whole education <laughs> uh, department set up. <laughs> I would have um, I would have been I would have come in with a lot more um, training on the ESOP to the to the employees, so they understood it from the from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely understand. But, but I have no regrets other, otherwise. That's great. That's great. Yeah, it's a great model. I, I've totally drank the employee ownership Kool-Aid and, and ESOP is, is one method, but there's lots of different ways to, to be able to do it. And, and so helping, helping employees understand the value of it and making it really successful is such a critical piece. So uh, I, I share that same, I share that same look back and say, ah, I, more education, more education, more education. Yep. All right, as we wrap up, what's one piece of wisdom or nugget of goodness that you'd like to leave with our listeners? Oh, goodness. I don't know what the what the one piece of wisdom is. I know you had asked me about leadership and employee ownership or in, any sayings I have about that. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, like I've talked about focusing on the employees. You know, one of, the, one of my sayings around here is when people complain or, or, or whatnot about a, a guy on a crew and you know, I just try to remind them all, you know, look, I'm trying to hire workers, but damn humans are just showing up. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, that's funny at first, yeah. but then you, when you really realize, you know, that's what this whole thing is based on, yeah. is it, it, humans yeah. and, and relationships. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in, in the um, ESOP and our company. You know, our industry, we, we get a lot of guys that, maybe have planned to be in this industry or maybe not, but a lot of them didn't have a lot of options otherwise. Um, and, and we're, we're able to provide a place to go where you can learn a career and give you a chance to accumulate some wealth that, that's not out there otherwise. That, that weighs on me a lot, you know, of, of how important this whole thing is. Yep. Uh, creating a, a better life for ourselves and for the future generation. It's what every single person on the planet is motivated to do. It's what we all want. And, you know, we do that through the work that we do every day. And cleaning is, is a tough business, but it's an incredibly important business. And the more that we can show people that there's a viable, this is a viable career path, a viable future for creating a better life for yourself, then the higher quality people we get and the longer they stay in this business. So I think it's a, it's a great mission and, and goal. And, and I share, I share it with you. Yep. All right. Well, that wraps up my questions. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? I, I think that's good. I really, I just really appreciate, you know, the opportunity to be on this podcast. I appreciate what you're doing with it. And I really appreciate all your work in the industry with, with the WJTA and the global cleaning. Coalition. I, yeah. You know, those, those are things that we just have got to do to to, to carry this industry forward. Well, thanks. I, I appreciate that and appreciate your support with it as well, especially in the WJTA too. So, you know, together it, we can make a difference. We just have to all come together and, and work on it. Yes. Thank you all for listening. We hope you appreciate it. We're always open for ideas. So uh, if you would like to hear from somebody in the industry or about a particular topic, you can email me at carrie.siggins at stoneagetools.com.